You're listening to a sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Hang around after the message to learn more about Mission Ridge. Sermon notes for this message, or any of our other messages, can be found on our mobile app. Just search for Mission Ridge Church in Google Play or the App Store. Thanks for tuning in. We are in week seven of our, no, six. Oh, wow. We're just going to run with this. Yeah, we're in week six of seven of our parables uh, study. And each year we like to jump back into the parables and and spend some time in, in them. This year we decided to spend seven weeks on 10 parables, all in Mark. So we hadn't touched any of the Mark parables the way Mark captures them. Uh, in our past years uh, when we've done this sermon series. So we thought, man, this year, since we're jumping into Mark, uh, we would look start by looking at the parables and hit all 10 of them. And then after this series, we're going to look at the larger narrative of Mark and, and talk about what Mark is saying to uh, to a group of believers that are... Uh, inundated with the Roman empire, like their lives are, are shaped by Roman thought. And, and so what does that mean for, for you and for I? And so we'll be doing that through the Lent season. And to remind you of this tool that we keep using this Pardes tool. Uh, it's, it's in your sermon notes. We actually do have our sermon notes up on our website now. Uh, there's some reasons why we're doing that, but they're also in your uh, in your hand, if you grab the paper bulletin, but also on the church, uh, the Mission Ridge Church app, which you could get if you go to our website to the main page and uh, get our app. And then you have access to our bulletins and you can type in your notes as you go along. If you like typing as uh, if your thumbs are faster than mine, uh, use use that feature. But we got this part ace tool. And this is a uh, Hebrew teaching tool that Jesus is employing. And, and so when Jesus tells a parable, uh, there's some surface level, uh, it hits you in the face. Oh, this is what this parable means. Uh, sometimes his disciples are like, yeah, I still don't get it. My name's Rob. Uh, you know, and so Jesus would explain it to them. But uh, a lot of times uh, his parables just on the surface just make sense. And then, and then anything else that Jesus does with this part tool has to depend on that basic foundational understanding of the parable. Otherwise, you end up in some strange, you know, teaching that Jesus never intended. Uh, as Jesus is teaching his parable, he's going to connect his story to Something in the Old Testament. This week, I found three uh, areas and we'll talk in depth on two of them. But he'll hint at something from the Old Testament. And, and, and then that causes you to, to uh, go to the drosh, go seek, go inquire. What does this other story, how did this other story that Jesus is connecting his story to, how does that add color to you know, add flair, add, add some more insight to this basic service level understanding. And then the fourth level of the party's tool is called sowed. And this is secret or mystery. And this is when the Holy Spirit shows up and, and says something in your heart and, and helps you to understand that parable, maybe, maybe more directly to your, your life circumstances. Uh, the example that we use of sowed is, is when 
Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus says, God, you didn't learn this. You didn't figure this out on your own. Uh, God revealed it to you. So that's, that's that kind of revelation where, where God's spirit helps you to suddenly understand. There's been people that read the scriptures a number of times. And then one day they sit down with the scriptures and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I need God in my life. That's sowed. So this week's parable and next week's parable, uh, both of these parables land in the, in the week, the last week of Christ's life on earth between his triumphal entry and his crucifixion. And it's important to know that we'll, we'll touch on these as we look at the larger narrative as, when we go through Lent. But it's important to know that, that these parables are during that last week and, and I'll say this about what Jesus is doing uh, in his last week. He is, he is pulling no punches. He is making sure that every punch lands and hits hard. He's not playing around anymore. He's not hinting anymore. He's, he's, he's being confrontational. He's being direct. And we should pay attention to that. So Let's uh, jump into Mark chapter 12, and we will look at 12 verses. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. He's, he's uh, talking to the religious leaders, mostly Sadducees, but probably some Pharisees as well. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. In the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent them another slave. They wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and that one they killed. And so with many others beating some and killing others, he had one more to send a beloved son. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, this is the heir come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out into the vineyard. What will the vine what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Then Jesus says this, have you not even read the scripture, the stone, which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him. And yet they feared the people for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. So the, so the religious leaders, they, they're confronting Jesus in uh, chapter 11. Now we're in chapter 12 and Jesus tells this parable and the religious leaders are like hot dang. Uh, that's a, that's the new Logan translation. Hot dang. Uh, he's talking about us. And uh, you, can, uh, you can definitely mark Jesus safe from being politically correct at this point. 
Um, but you can't mark them safe from the Sadducees and the Pharisees because this parable and the next one will get him killed. Will get him killed. Now we need to understand what's going on in the story. And so like some context will help us. We have to understand that the, that the vineyard equals Israel. The vineyard equals Israel. We could also say that it, that it represents God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus is establishing because Jesus tells parables in order to shape our understanding of what it means to live within his kingdom. Okay. So we know that God invested in Israel. When God took Israel out of Egypt, they were not fruitful. They were, they were dying on the vine, right? And God set a hedge about them and he, and he, he established them in the, in the new land. And, and, and Jesus describes that. He says, God is invested in you. We could also say that God has invested in his church that, that, you know, as the church started out 2000 years ago, uh, the church was illegal in most places. Uh, and it took 300 years before the church was finally free to, to worship throughout the Roman empire. It took 300 years. God has invested. He has provided for the church. Jesus also provides a kingdom principle here that, that we'll call stewardship. Jesus says that, that God expects something out of those who are living for his kingdom. God expects fruit from those who serve him. He expects fruit from those who serve him. He says, I've, I've established you as a, as a vine, go produce fruit. Now, what kind of fruit? We'll, we'll get to that because, because he definitely tells us through his remez, but we'll, we'll get there. And so as we live within this kingdom, we have to know that God has certain expectations of those who are living within the, within the kingdom. If we say that we are part of his kingdom, he has expectations and we should pay attention to that. The second thing that we should learn from the basic, the, the surface level understanding of, of this parable is that some will spend all their time fighting God instead of actually producing fruit. They'll spend all their time and energy fighting God because isn't that like God, the owner, God sends multiple servants to, to receive payment. And instead of just going, yeah, I mean, we got some right here. They're fighting God himself. And I think that should cause us to go, Oh, I hope I'm not fighting God. I hope, I hope that's not the kind of person that I am, that, I, that all the things that I'm doing are actually fighting God instead of producing the kinds of fruit that he's looking for. Uh, in fact, we're told that he will destroy those vine growers. That is, that is 
what he will do for those who are actually fighting against him. Now, you may be thinking, we may, we, we, we may say, you know what, he was, he was talking, this message was for those guys. That's, that's ancient history. Um, but, you know, Paul says this, Paul, Paul has, uh, presents his own parable in Romans chapter 11. And, and instead of reading it to you, uh, I, will, I, I will describe it to you and break it down for you. And then, and then shared the last line that he says in this parable in Romans 11, 17 through 21. But he, he has this, his own parable of, of an olive tree. And Israel is the, is the cultivated olive tree and the Gentiles are the wild branches that get grafted into this cultivated tree. And Paul says that some of the branches of the cultivated tree, they were broken off in order for you, the Gentiles, that's us, uh, to be grafted into what God is doing through Israel. So for those who have a replacement theology that says Israel's out and the, and the church is in, I question that based off of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 11. But he says some, some of the cultivated branches, they, they weren't doing what they were supposed to be. They weren't producing fruit. And so God broke them off and he grafted in wild branches. He grafted us in. And he says this, do not be conceited, but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches, he'll not spare you either. Paul, in the same way that Jesus is talking about producing fruit that God expects. And and if we don't produce the kind of fruit that he's looking for, he's, he's speaking to those that are within the kingdom. You could say he's speaking to those today that are within the church. He's speaking to you and I, we need to be producing a certain kind of fruit. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that fruit. So that's on the surface level. Uh, God expects fruit from those who serve him. Uh, and some spend all their time fighting God instead of actually producing fruit. But he, he has three separate hints, three, three remezes that I notice. I, I'm sure there's others. Uh, actually, as I was preaching and going, oh, I wonder if that's a, another remez I should go look for, look at. But um, the one remez that jumps off the page to me immediately is uh, he calls the son a beloved son. Now, in all the scriptures, there's only one son besides Jesus. Jesus is called the beloved son uh, at his baptism. But, but in the Old Testament, the only son that's called a beloved son is Isaac in Genesis 22, when God tells Abraham to go offer his son up, take the son, the son that you love and go offer him on a mountain. I will show you. Now, if you know the story, you know that, that God doesn't require Abraham to to follow through, but provides, uh, uh, provides a replacement. And I believe this is a foreshadowing to what Jesus will do on the cross for you and I. 
But uh, that is one of the remezes, one of the hints. Uh, we won't look at that one intently, but invite you to go consider what that story has to do with Jesus's parable. The, the one I want to really look at intently first and foremost is, is Psalm 118 verses. And, and we're going to look at 19 through 26. So Jesus quotes two of these verses, but I want to dial out a little bit and, and look at the larger context of this Psalm. And so I'm going to read uh, seven or eight verses starting with verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation. This is Israel saying, we need your salvation, God. We need you in our lives. And then in verse 22, the stone, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, these are the two verses that he quotes, right? But the, but the Psalm goes on to say, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, Hoshana, we beseech you. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. By the way, if you remember to the triumphal entry, uh, we're told in the, in the Greek that they were yelling out Hosanna. Like it was a celebration. I don't believe they were crying out Hosanna. I think they were crying out Hoshana, which means please save. And on the other, that side of history, they were crying out on this side of history. It's a celebration. It's a, it's a word that when they said before, please save. Well, now they could say he saved us. This cry for help became this, this celebratory anthem for us. And they were quoting this Psalm just days before Jesus shares this parable. He is connecting himself to this cry for salvation. This is the day which Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh Lord, Hoshana, we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, for we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. See, the Israelites were crying out just days before this for salvation. And Jesus saying, it is here. It is in your presence. Will you notice it? Will you see it? Will you recognize the work of God in your life? Will you recognize it? I believe Jesus is saying that, that religious people, people that are just so, they got their religion just defined so, uh, God just looks like this. Religious people will miss what God is doing around them because it won't fit their nice, neat definition. And we got to be careful about that. Are you that person? Are you that person that misses it? 
because, ugh, man, it just doesn't fit my definition of who God is and how he works and what he's about. And like, are you sure? Are you sure? Uh, you could use the Bible to uh, teach you just about anything if you wanted to. Uh, Christy's dad used to say, well, the Bible says I, could run, I should run people through with a sword. Okay, dad. <laughs> it says that. Um, this is where, why community is so important when it comes to understanding the scriptures, because um, we could either miss the context or, or, or focus on something that, that just doesn't help. Um, I think in terms of... Uh, just where some churches are at with, with the role of women within the church. Um, I've seen churches that were just like, like men lead women, shut up. Um, it's like, oh, okay. Um, are you sure that's what God's saying? Like some of the best gospel communicators in my life have been women. Uh, we have two ladies on our preaching team and, and they're not always up here, but they're always helping us shape the conversation because man, like, should we just not listen to half the people in the room? And if God has gifted them, do we not listen to them? I don't think that's what God intended. And I know the apostle Paul says some hard things in the scriptures um, but maybe we're, we're approaching those scriptures with our own prejudice and our own bias instead of a heart that's going, what are you doing here, God? I just, you know what? I don't want to miss what God is doing. I don't want to be so religious that I miss what God is doing. There's some people that, uh, because, because I drink alcohol, they will never step through these doors because I'm a pastor who drinks alcohol. Jesus made really good wine, people. <laughs> out of water. Really good wine out of water. Now, do I need to approach alcohol with care and concern? And if the person sitting across from me is is addicted, should I maybe abstain in the moment? Yeah. But is everything that I ever taught rejected? Because I don't. Are we missing out on what God is doing because of our prejudices, our preferences? Jesus hints at another passage in a really big way. <laughs> uh, I mean, like the, the remezes in this one, like the, the, the two that I'm covering are like super obvious. Um, like if you Google wine press vineyard, you get that you'll go right to Isaiah five. And it says this, let me sing now for my beloved 
uh, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. Now, first of all, already, like this is like, this, this is an impassioned, like, like God is saying something like he's passionate, like, I love you. Like this is, starts off great. He dug it around, removed its stones and planted it in the choicest vine, just showing you the tender care that he had, the love, the tension he gave it. He built a tower in the middle of it and want to protect it. And also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes. I'm like, yeah, that part of the world, good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. Hmm. Story starts to turn here. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Now, now, what does he mean by that? He's going to get there. Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain, no rain on it. He is about serious business here. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. And again, he hasn't answered the question yet. Like, what are you looking for? What am I supposed to provide here? Thus he looked for justice, but he got bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that your religious acts are supposed to be producing justice and righteousness, but instead we got bloodshed and we have cries of distress. You could go back to last week's sermon by Logan, where Logan talked about the washing of the hands, right? Not found in the scriptures, uh, not in Torah, not in Torah, but in their extra writings that they developed in Babylon. And Jesus is saying, your traditions are getting in the way. The things that you focus on, you, you focus on what people can see. God focuses on the heart. but people can actually see it because there's bloodshed and there's cries of distress. Now we got to understand that Isaiah five was, was pre Babylon, right? Isaiah five is God saying, guess what? I'm going to discipline you because I love you and you will go to Babylon. And so, so for the Pharisees and Sadducees, like, Hey, wait a minute, Jesus, this is ancient history. God already disciplined us. You're wrong. 
because they learned their lesson. We, we built synagogues. We have the Pharisees, like the Pharisees are, were the, became this sect of religious champions for doing God's stuff, God's way. They uh, developed the, the Talmud, which is, they, they went from 613 to about 3000 laws. Like that's what we need. We need more laws. Who, who, who in here thinks that we should probably have uh, people going to Washington, D.C. And, and writing more laws for us? That's got to be helpful, right? I think for every law that they write, there should be a law that they have to take five away. And eventually we'll get down to a number I like someday. We'll get back to 613. That was, that was actually workable <laughs> compared to what we got today. But the... The Pharisees and the Sadducees, and especially the Pharisees, like, wait a minute, we solved this. We learned our lessons. We developed a religious system to, to ensure, and we are going to control education, which is the synagogue, right? We're going to control our people. We're going to have religious police walking around, checking on people. We will micromanage them to death with way more laws than God ever spoke. problem is they missed the heart of God. And Jesus is saying, guys, what Isaiah said all those years ago applies to you today. And what I'm afraid of within the, 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 the church today is that we go, yep, ancient history Jesus, Jesus said a good word to those Pharisees and those Sadducees, ancient history. We've got this solved. We've created our systems. We're good. We've got our doctrines. We've got our, and we miss the heart of God. Like, I just want to be, I want to make sure that we actually read this and let Jesus speak to us too today. See, God is expecting a religious practice of his people to produce justice and righteousness. And I just want to make sure that we take the time to ask the question, what are your religious practices producing? When your son is rebelling against you in your home. When someone walks away from the church. When someone disagrees with your view of some religious expectation, like, uh, I mean, we could talk about uh, how the church sometimes has handled uh, conversations. Uh, like abortion, uh, like the LGBTQ plus, conversations around immigration. There's been people within the church and I'm not saying our church, but historically we should probably own and police our own. When, when people, people are blowing up abortion clinics, it sounds like bloodshed and cries of distress. 
when, when people shame, talk down, dehumanize the LGBTQ plus, whatever that means. I don't know what all that means, but, but, I, but I can at least have a respectful conversation. I can at least be honoring towards those who, are, who today are doing something that I don't necessarily agree with, living, making choices that I don't necessarily agree with. I don't have to go very far in my household to have some that I don't agree with with the choices that they're making. And are my interactions causing bloodshed and, and cries of distress? Or am I helping them pursue righteousness? Am I creating a safe environment, environment for justice? I love the way CareNet operates. That's why I'm on the board. We're a pro-life organization. I don't know if you guys knew that. <laughs> but you won't see us out there with blowhorns preaching to people that we don't know anything about. But you'll see us lovingly engage, go to the campus, uh, do events like Laugh for Life. But we're not laughing at people. We're saying, hey, come, come laugh with us. Come enjoy. Come, come get to know us. Like we want to do life with you. We want to care for you. We, want to, we hear your cries of distress and we're going to run to you. When there's bloodshed, we'll, we'll bring band-aids. We'll bring care. God is expecting the religious practices of his people to produce justice and righteousness. What are your religious practices doing? Within the Christian community, sometimes we want control education. Like, I think we should influence it. But do we have to control it? In order to move God's kingdom forward, uh, we, 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 sometimes we want to control the laws of the land. We want to dictate the laws of the land. And I think we should be part of every civic conversation. But do we have to dominate in order to make a difference? Uh, some desire power. They got to show up with their guns, right? Um, I, I wish I had a better picture of this. Um, actually, I wish this just wasn't a thing at all. Uh, but there's a doll. Um, it's uh, the Enduring Freedom Jesus Christ doll with rocket launcher. Uh, that uh, Jen Bartlett saw. Uh, somewhere and she, she posted it to the sermon club channel. And, um, I don't know if you know this, but the, the message of Romans is, or the message of Mark is not that it's, it's not might over. Like I, I don't have to dominate you that the message of Mark is going to be that Laying down your life is what brings the kingdom to fruition. That 
laying down your rights is what moves the kingdom forward. No rocket launchers needed for this kingdom to move forward. Not a one, and especially not Jesus. Wow. Um, yeah, I was just too pixelated for me to get it up on screen for you guys. So here's a question I want you to wrestle with this morning. Where have your religious practices brought cries of distress or bloodshed? Within what relationship? Because honestly, uh, I haven't always lived this out. I think the hardest place for me to live this out well is at home. Is it with your son or your daughter? Is it with your neighbor? Neighbor? Is it? Is it? Is it someone in another church? Where have you had good intentions, but you miss God's heart in the process? Thanks for listening to this sermon from Mission Ridge Church. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come join us for worship. Service times, location, and loads of other fun stuff can be found on our mobile app or our website. You can find our mobile app by searching for Mission Ridge Church in your app store. Our website can be found at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in.